Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Throwback Bookstack. I am one of your hosts, Kelly. And I'm Emily. And we're so happy you came to join us again, because this week we're talking about mice. This week we're talking about Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. It's by Robert C. O'Brien, and it was published in 1971. It won the 1972 Newbery Medal. I read this book as a kid. And did you also read this one? No, I've never read this book before. Oh my goodness. I feel like it's been a while since we've done that one. I guess My Side of the Mountain. I read this one really early in elementary school, and I just remember how enchanted I was by it. It was sort of that period of time where I was reading every book I could get my hands on that was with talking animals. Very into Benicula, read The Incredible Journey, read every book about cats that our library had. So this was definitely sort of in that string of every talking animal book is in my house. Um, And here we learned a lot about rats. And I was not into books about talking animals. (laughs) Never have been. Don't know why. You never went through a talking animal phase? No. I like animals, but no. You're never going to be a Disney princess, are you? No, and I never have wanted to be, to be quite honest. So had you heard of this book at all? or Uh, I had heard of the movie. Okay. I didn't realize it was based on a book. Which, yes, the secret, of, the secret of Nim was a Don Bluth movie of the 80s, and it was based on this book. Um, I guess the secret of Nim is a much more dramatic name to give it. But yeah, so that, and ironically, I have never actually seen the movie. Oh, that's funny. 1982. I had seen the movie, and I actually, reading this book was interesting because I have not seen the movie enough that I remembered it well. But I saw it enough, I guess, that I would get to a scene and be like, Ooh, I remember what this looked like in the movie. And I gotta say, I think I like the movie better. Really? possibly because I'm only remembering it not really. I know there's a wizard mouse in the movie. We We can get to what I like about what I supposedly remember in a second. Okay, so but first let's start by summarizing the book. So if you haven't listened to our podcast before, we're about to spoil the whole thing. So if you want to read it before we talk about it, Go do that now. Come back to us later. We'll be here drinking mimosas. But Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim is a story about the titular Mrs. Frisbee. She is a widowed mouse who has four kids. And basically, it is sort of nearing the time of year where they move from their summer home in the garden to the forest. But basically, once sort of the planting season starts, they need to move because their house will be horribly crushed by the tractor and the plows. Knowing that spring is coming and the frosts will melt and they need to move when her younger son, Timothy, takes ill with pneumonia and he's a bit frail. And they go to this white mouse, Mr. Agnes, who is sort of the the wise mouse of the area who knows all the cures for things. And basically he says, yeah, Timothy can't leave for probably a month. He'll be too weak to move until then. So they're concerned because they know they have only a couple days and they overhear talking by the tractor that they have five days before... The tractor comes and their house will be there crushed and they will all be killed if they're in it. So they get to the question of what to do. And when Mrs. Frisbee is coming back from meeting with Mr. Agnes, she basically ends up saving a crow, Jeremy, because he gets caught on a fence. And so he is in her debt and is very excited to meet her and agrees to actually take her out to meet this owl in the woods who he thinks can help her find a solution to her problem. And so they go out to see the owl. The owl says, hey, I can't really help you, but um, when he finds out that she is the widow of Mr. Jonathan Frisbee, suddenly he's interested in helping her. That apparently Jonathan Frisbee was a friend to the owl, which she had no idea about. And he suggests, hey, you should go talk to those rats. She's like, why the rats? He's like, go talk to them. So she goes and she talks to the rats. And basically, they have a 
whole society underground. So the rats were all part of a scientific experiment from an era, a white building called, uh, called where the titular Nim comes from. And they are all given this serum that ends up making them bigger and smarter and able to learn much faster. And it gets into sort of their backstory about how they were test rats and they became these sort of super smart rats and they all escaped. And one of the other test subjects was actually part of this group of mice was Jonathan Frisbee. Mr. Agnes was also a test mouse there. And so they all escape from the lab uh, and end up trying to find places to live and build their own sort of society together. And it gets into this sort of long history of them traveling and they end up staying at a house for a while and they read all these books and they learn and they decide to then go and end up living in this farm because it's near electricity and they know how to build electric things and they have welding equipment and soldering equipment that they get from off a dead of a dead man's car and they end up building this very mechanized underground society with elevators and electricity and they keep talking about this plan basically they have a plan to go build their own rat civilization elsewhere based on some books they've read about how sort of what societies are and so that doesn't solve mrs frisbee's immediate problem but they agree to help her basically they kind of know how they could move her house so that it would be basically by the cinder block in a way that the tractor ends up sort of going past it. So they agree to help move it, but the problem is there's a cat. Dragon. Dragon is the largest, meanest cat. And Dragon was actually responsible for the death of Mr. Jonathan Frisbee. The problem is also Mr. Agnes broke his leg escaping from the cat. So they, when they need to do work at night, drug the cat and put a sleeping powder in its food. And since Mr. Agnes, who is normally the smallest, fast one able to do it, has a broken leg, he can't do it. So Mrs. Frisbee agrees that she will put a sedative in the cat's food. And at that night, then the rats will help move things around because they were friends of Jonathan Frisbee. He's part of the reason they were able to escape the lab in the first place. He helped get them out. So she sneaks into the house. She puts the sleeping powder in the cat's food, but then she gets caught by the son of the family in the farmhouse who puts her in a cage. But one of the rats, Justin, comes to free her that evening and gets her out. She goes home, they move the house. But while she was in the cage, she overheard some information. The rat society had had a bit of a schism um, when they were deciding they were going to go move to this valley out in the national park where no one would bother them. There were some rats that didn't want to give up electricity and elevators and the sort of conveniences they had the other rats were, that wanted to leave were interested in living a life where they didn't have to steal or rely off thieving off others. They wanted to provide for themselves and farm for themselves, while these other rats didn't have a moral qualm about it. So they had all gone off, and the big concern was they might expose these experimental rats. Um, and that is what happened. Basically, a bunch of the rats went into a store, and it seemed like they were trying to get off with a motorized saw, and they were chewing on the insulation and accidentally electrocuted themselves. The local reporter thought it looked funny and wrote an article on it. This drew some attention. So basically a group from the government was coming to kill all the rats on the farm and fumigate this area where they were known to be. So Mrs. Frisbee overhears this information, lets Justin know, lets the other rats know, and they speed up their plan to escape. So the rats are able to get everyone out, get things out, except they leave a guard set behind because they need to make it seem like there are rats there. So after they help Mrs. Frisbee's home get moved so they're safe, they sort of disguise a lot of things and make it seem like it's just a normal rat hovel. And then they leave some rats behind to sort of escape when the government comes and the fumigation comes. Um, most of them makes it out, but it seems like two of them don't. Um, it's never clear. We never really find out who they suspect. It's Justin, who is this rat that's befriended 
Mrs. Frisbee and her family, but it's never specifically confirmed. But basically, at the end, Mrs. Frisbee and her family are safe. The rats of Nim have escaped off to Thorn Valley to start their new rat civilization. And in the very end, Timothy is strong enough that they're able to move out to the woods to their summer home. She finally tells her kids the story of who her husband and their father really was. And that's the story. And it's really lovely. Anything else to add that I missed? No. I was mostly thinking about the movie while you were talking. I think maybe we actually had a picture book of the movie. So I think I saw the movie, but I think I'm remembering a lot of the picture book. Okay. So what was your experience then in the differences of reading it versus seeing the movie? Because I imagine probably more people are even familiar with the movie than the book. Yeah, I think I like the movie more. And it's not because this book is bad. Like, it's well written. And it does have, like, an interesting plot. I didn't have any, like, big problems with it. But it just was one of those interest, those instances where I feel like the movie, especially when I was a kid, was, like, really scary to me. Yeah. And, like, there was a bunch more action. Like, even though there are action scenes in this, a lot of them are also told through, like, you're reading a story and the person in it is telling a long story. It's one of the things that I don't like in books. There's a lot of escaping the cat, though. There is. That's not as much in the movie. What I remember in the movie, I do remember the scene where she puts the sleeping powder in because I remember liking that she had that little packet and I remember she had to take off her cape for it because she wore a cape all the time. I remember her being in the birdcage a little bit. That's the cage that the sun puts her in. And I remember the scene where they actually taking like their cinder block house out was much more like big and dramatic and it was raining and the house slipped and that's where the magic came in because in the in the movie she has a magic necklace and the magic necklace like starts working then and helps lift the house out and like the kids are in the house when it moves so they're like almost sucked down into the mud oh it's very it's very dramatic so maybe it was just that i was underwhelmed when they like lifted the house out pretty okay and like that went fine there's also no magic in the book it's all science yeah there's not as much science in the movie, and I feel like it wasn't as plot- Again, I have not seen this in a while, so I could be very wrong, but I feel like there wasn't as much about, like, lab rats and stuff like that as there was about this magic necklace she has yeah, <laughs> that I was really into. The book really gets into sort of their life as lab rats, and it's really- That was the thing that was actually really jarring to me to read, because so my memories of it were I just remember it's this really fun book about rats, and that is still held up to me. Like, that still was the case. It was a fun, delightful book about rats. It was lovely, but I forgot how high the stakes were in a lot of situations. Like, it was a lot of constant situations of, if this happens, we're going to die. Or if this happens, we're going to die. Me crossing the yard might die. And how much the the thought was with her of she could just go out and die and her kids would never know exactly what happened. She just wouldn't come home one day. Yeah, quite frankly, it was a little exhausting. Like, I was just like, I get it. Every moment of your life is seconds from death. It was very dire all the time, which I didn't remember at all from being a kid. I don't think I really internalized that. And maybe that's kind of what got to me where it just wasn't as like fun of a romp as I was wanting. I don't actually remember the movie being fun. I remember it terrifying the shit out of me. Yeah, have you not learned from Watership Down that any movie about cute animals or any book about cute animals is in fact deeply traumatic? I've never seen nor read Watership Down. Again, not big on the whole animals. Just gonna go and add that to our list. (laughs) You found another genre I wasn't into? (laughs) See, and I wasn't in Historical Girls, and this is why we're very balanced. (laughs) Historical girls are my jam. I guess I've never put it that way. 
the thing that actually jarred me and made me definitely sort of appreciate how old this was was their attitude towards lab rats and science done on animals and animal testing because I feel like you wouldn't necessarily see a book written this way now in the sense that it was really sort of handled as a sort of benign action like the rats mentioned about how oh they're being held prisoner but yeah they weren't really put in any pain and yeah like they occasionally had these like flashes of like a little bit of pain but that was fine and it was really sort of treated as like oh yeah like the hard part was they were they were being contained not so much as being experimented on it feels like they were being really nice to the rats i mean they did teach them how to read (laughs) Like like they pointed out how nice all the scientists were which to be fair i'm not familiar with sort of what the practices are in animal testing and how attached the scientists get to their <laughs> yeah but like with rats i mean it's such a common subject it just it just seemed like they were like oh yes and the scientists are very nice to us like what we're trapped and we need to escape but it, it, they weren't the scientists weren't really seen as a threat like it wasn't considered as dire a situation as a lot of their other life was, which was very interesting. It didn't, I was trying to figure out what message or side or direction they were trying to go in what the role of animal testing was, but it really felt like we need a reason to make super powered rats and here we go. But apparently it was also based on, um, like the reason it's the rats of NIM is it was based on actual experimentation done in the forties through the sixties done by the National Institute of Mental Health. That's what the acronym is from. Um, But it was actually based on, according to Wikipedia, um, it was actually based on the research of Dr. John B. Calhoun on mice and rat population dynamics. See, I did not realize it was an acronym. I assumed it was some weird British word and this all took place in Britain and it was a word that I wasn't familiar with or part of a word that got cut off. I figured it was it was an acronym for something to do with the lab and the lab name, but um, that makes more sense. They just never spelled it as an acronym, and I well, because what they wouldn't know. I mean, they they they, like learn the concept of you think you're so smart, rats, but you don't know what an acronym is. And you know, the rats while they're there, like learn not just how to read, but like what the concept of reading and communication is, and they learn all these signs and complex language and then when they end up going to this house they end up reading all the books in this this rich guy's house and learn about like the nature of civilization and contemplate how rats would develop a situation it ends up in this really philosophical place about like the nature of isolationism versus interventionalism and like a lot of interesting things about like the development of civilization that was very heavy-handed for a kid's book and not something I remember from being a kid so it definitely just went straight past me I guess my other problem was that they skim over a lot of them yeah like they mention them but they're not really the point of the book and it's like this is a very like deep thing to just mention briefly. (laughs) I feel like though it is still a kid's book, like it's still a young adult book, you're not going to be going into the nature of the development of civilization for too long. That's true, I guess I just, I don't know. It just wasn't resonating with me. It was just like, that's an interesting point, but then they just kind of moved on and it was more about like moving the cinder block house. I mean, they kept going back to it though, and I love the fact that they do disappear in the end and there's no confirmation of whether they made it. We don't know that we're looking at them through this lens of Mrs. Frisbee and we don't know sure. how things I mean, turned it was, out. It was a lot of heavy things just slipped in because there was that, there was the whole thing about like what people think of rats and mice, like mm-hmm. how they're seen as like the enemy and just like a bad thing and bring all this stuff. There was the weird story that was told to her at one point to explain things about like the women with the vacuum cleaners. Yeah. And how, like, 
This woman bought the first vacuum cleaner in town, and her house was so clean that everyone went out to buy them. But then the demand for vacuums was so high that they had to build a vacuum cleaner factory, and that factory released coal into the air, and that coal settled into everyone's houses. And so everyone's houses were so dirty that even with the vacuum cleaner, they had to work twice as hard, and their houses weren't as clean as they were before they had vacuum cleaners. That theme could have been, like, an entire children's book of trying to, like, go more in-depth into that, and, like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? What are the consequences of, is all these things automatically good if we have these advances? But instead it was, like, one story, move on. <laughs> like Yeah, and they definitely did sort of seem to take Nicodemus's side, Nicodemus being sort of the head of the, the rats, um, versus Jenner, who was his friend that left because they wanted to maintain this sort of rat society of technology and science and didn't sort of want to move off to this rat utopia they want to go create. And so it definitely felt like they were very much wading towards the side of this, this developing your own civilization and sort of this isolationist society versus the society Jenner wanted. But it was, it was, I thought an interesting debate that did come up multiple times and they did address the fact that even with the people that stayed, there were some that were concerned about it and that there were, you know, a lot of concerns about what this change would mean for them. And it felt like they really got in a lot of sort of interesting things to think about in terms of what it would mean to have a rat society. And I thought it was just, I thought it was really an exciting thing. I, like, if I, I wish as a kid I'd interpret, I, I wish I'd thought more about it as a kid because I'm like, I could have probably spent my whole day going over this rat society, but I felt like I didn't get into it as a kid, which makes me sad. Like, I want to spend my time, like, imagining a rat society. Right. And I guess that's why I feel like maybe it wasn't that well done. Because, like, these themes are interesting concepts when I see them reading it as an adult. But I feel like if it is for younger readers, then you can't throw so many in or have them so not I don't know like the fact that that went past you and that it was more just like a fun rat story is like but the thing that makes this like the award winner and a classic and worth reading are those ideas yeah and I don't know if they're well enough explained for like a child okay I can I I can definitely see that that criticism comes from and sort of I that's that's fair because those were the interesting parts but again it wasn't I feel like I caught them as an adult. But That's I'm true. Sure and if... the fact that I didn't remember them from my time as a kid is probably a sign that maybe it either wasn't as effective or that I just didn't try hard. Maybe I just didn't try hard enough, Emily. Maybe I wasn't trying hard enough. Yeah, but I mean, if you're reading these for fun and not for school, then you're not going to, like, try hard. They should be well enough advanced that you don't have to because they should get their point across without you having to try very hard. I disagree with that completely. <laughs> Trying is fun. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. That seems great. You can wear that around. So my other things were, I mean, like I said, I overall, I thought this was well written. It was like a fun story. It was interesting. I have a few like nitpicky things that drove me a little crazy. For one thing, this is a very like, you see this sometimes in books where it was like every single time chapter ended, it felt like it had to end on a cliffhanger, which was sometimes more successful than others because sometimes there was a genuine cliffhanger happening in the story. But sometimes it was just like, you know, a place to end. And so to make up for that, he would write in like one sentence as if it was a cliffhanger and it wasn't. And my favorite example of that is this one. They're talking and so it could just be like, that's the end of the chapter, on to the next one. But instead he feels the need to insert this sentence like, 
She was about to ask Isabella when the library door opened and Nicodermus, Justin, and Mr. Ages enter. Another rat came with them. A stranger. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Next chapter. The strange rat was named Arthur. <laughs> like, okay. it's not a cliffhanger. Okay. You didn't need to put that. Okay, that's true. That's fair. That's fair. So there was that, which was almost kind of funny at points, because I was just like, dude, I don't know what creative writing class you took that you felt like you had to end every chapter like this, but it doesn't have to be dramatic. Like, and my other thing was, I don't love the plot divide, and a lot of books do this, and movies, and everything. This is just a prevailing thing, but the whole thing about, like, there was a secret that someone close to you, especially a husband, just never told you. Like, he's basically living a secret life where he would still go into situations that eventually caused his death. And but how she do you didn't tell know. your wife you're a secret immortal? I mean, they're not immortal. They're just longer alive. But but from her point of view, he basically is. Look, they gave her a reason, but I still, I just didn't like it. Like, husbands and wives are supposed to be, like partners supposed to be i mean she's gonna find out eventually when he never ages <laughs> he could dye his fur white right that's true well that they brought that up like that he would have to tell her eventually because she would notice at some point yeah but he didn't and i know that the whole reason wasn't because of that it was because it's better for us as the reader to learn alongside with her than for her to have already known everything yeah. but i just had issues with that i was like come on jonathan you're better than this and I also had issues with the fact that he was helping the rats and was friends with them and died trying to put this powder in so they could do things. And she still had to, like, almost by accident manage to find out that she could go to them and ask for help with a favor. Like, they should have contacted her. That's And true. been like, this is how your husband died. If you ever need anything, come to us. We owe you one. I can get why they didn't in that they're so secretive. And that they do have a really developed sense of paranoia, which is for good reason. They are, you know, test subjects with a large secret. But yeah, the or if not even them, like someone should have been like, oh, hey, you know, your husband was always really helpful. And a lot of us really had a lot of respect for him. So, you know, even if you do ever need anything, you know, we always really liked him around the woods. And we're, we are happy to do any favor you need. Just let us know. Like they could have not even sort of pushed up the friendship, just been like, Oh, of course, you know, your husband was always a really, you know, great, beloved, you know, mouse around town. Like, we would definitely, you know, our condolences and, you know, we saw what happened. We saw the cat got him. They don't have to give why. But they should have also given why because, I mean, going back to he should have said something a long time ago. Yes. Is that they're not sure how his children will be affected by yeah. the testing done to him. So that's another thing that she should be aware of. Yes, she should know that her children are also super smart. I also appreciated... I loved everything about Mrs. Frisbee. I love her. I yes. love her. She's great. And I appreciated, though, that she did notice some differences, like that she did notice it was really hard for her to learn to read while her kids took it up so easily, but she sort of brushed it off as they're young. But I like that she did sort of notice these things and she loved the fact that her kids were smart and she cared about that. But yeah, she should have, she should have known. She They should have said, hey, by the way, your kids are half immortal rats. <laughs> Sorry, half super long live rats. And I do have to say that I do love that plot point because I was thinking when they were first telling the story of like getting kidnapped and becoming lab rats and they said something like something foreshadowing like it wouldn't even be a year by the time we escaped. And I was like, how the fuck long do rats live? Like, yeah. not that long. And I was like, you know, if it's been, that was a year and they've been here for two years and, and I was adding it up and then they got to the part where some of the experiments make them live like a really long time. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, great. Although it's it, and again, 
they're down to the nitpicky. I don't really have any big problems with this book, but it annoyed me that they kept saying that they weren't growing any older, when what they meant was they weren't aging. Okay, fine. <laughs> but again, it gets back to this is a kid's book. They will probably not pick up the semantics on that. I said I was also, nitpicky. Also, they're rats. But that's a different thing, like physically growing... Physically aging and changing was what they were trying to say. They're still having the benefit of being long-lived and, like, wisdom and knowledge. I feel like you're expecting a lot from these rats in terms of semantics. I am These rats figured out how to work electricity and tear apart a truck and rewire a whole society. They can learn the difference between two words. They read an entire library. I will have high expectations for them. They're going to tell me that they sat around all winter and read about, like, the rise and fall of civilizations, and I'm going to tell them to learn the difference between growing older and aging. Fine, fine. You tell these rats how to live and learn. I will if I can find them. This is why they want to have their own society. Doesn't sound likely, because I don't go around tramping around people's farms to see if there's secret rat societies very often. But you will chase snakes and hang out with them all the time. I don't chase snakes. I try to be their friend by capturing them. (laughs) Holding them and getting them used to my voice. Yes, but I'm just saying, like, you obviously go outdoors, which are places both rats and snakes live. I've seen you outside. The Venn diagram of where rats and snakes live is not exact. Like, I mean, there is some overlap, but I feel like I'm in snake places more than rat places. Oh, which does bring me back to the New York subway. Yeah. Which... No, I'm sorry. You lived in New York. You can't say that you're not in rat places. And I did make friends with a rat when I lived there. Was it so... pizza rat? Please say yes. No, of course not. But there was a rat who, okay, so when I would come home, I was always tired after work and I didn't feel like going to the closer subway where I would have to transfer halfway through. So I'd always walk to the further away subway that I could just stay on the whole time. And we'd always stand in the same place that would be on the correct end because both of our doors were at, to exit the subway were at that end. Mm -hmm. And it was near the dumpster room. Mm -hmm. And we liked it also because no one else stood near us because no one else wanted to be that close to the dumpster. And I was like, I don't care. I don't have to be around these people. Fair. Stand like some garbage for a little bit. And so because of that, there was these rats that were always there. And I feel like they got to know us. Because they would start to get, like, real bold and, like, come out. I mean, this was, like, you know, every day for two years. And, like, really come close to us. And we'd always be like, hey, buddy, what up? <laughs> Did you learn to differentiate between them at all? I assume there was just one. I would always pretend it was just one. I don't know. I did not, is what I'm trying to say. I didn't care that much. And I would never pick them up because... Yeah, that'd be a bad idea. <laughs> Like, I'm not an idiot, but he was our friend. Did you ever notice them carrying tiny solder equipment or Christmas light bulbs? No, I did not. Damn it. So you can't follow them to the rat civilization. If the rat civilization was in the dumpster room, I'm not sure I want to. Meanwhile, I one thing I enjoy about running at night is I'll be running down my running path and you'll just see the rats go from one bush to the other, just running across the trail in front of you. So you need to like time your steps that you're not going too fast that you accidentally hit a rat with your feet. They're really cute. It's a funny image. See these little shadows. Just darting from bush to bush. Yeah, they're fine. I've never been, like, scared of rodents, so this wasn't... I'm not scared of... I'm not scared of rodents when I can, like, see them and have some, like, ability to leave. What I don't like is when I am asleep somewhere and there is a mouse or rat free in the room. Because one place I worked, you'd sleep on the couch and you'd wake up because the rats ran across your face. Well, that sounds horrifying. Yeah. But I don't want anything running across my face. Yeah. It's not really a rat problem. I just, like, don't want things running across my face when I'm sleeping. I, I'm taking that as a hard stance, in fact. 
Back anyway, books book. about rats. These are farm rats. It's different. I just love the character of Mrs. Frisbee, especially because I feel like so often when you're reading like kids books and kids sci-fi books, you know, the protagonist is always a young person, someone you can, you know, have empathy with. And in here we have, you know, a widowed adult mother of four, mm-hmm. which is, I think, not a normal protagonist for this style of books, but she's so brave and she's just like rolling along knowing that she has to do what needs to be done to protect her family and is just willing to take on these challenges that scare her. She does not want to fly. Her kids are like, yeah, flying is great. She's like, no, I don't want to do this. So she's always willing to take on challenges because she knows it's basically her only option. I love her. Yeah, she's very no-nonsense, too. She's just kind of like, nothing really phases her. Like, she finds out all these things and she's all like, oh, wait, can I interrupt your story? I gotta go home and check on my kids. (laughs) Okay, I'll be back. Like... She's not, like, freaking out or being, like, this is the most important, like, it's all just about providing for her kids and just being, like, yeah, cool. Yeah, and I love that we sort of get her point of view because she is very normal and there's this weird, basically, like, what almost seems like a rat cult going on where they have, like, this secret plan and everything. And she's seeing all these mysterious sort of notes about it and she's just, like, okay, just gonna read these things and just move forward and that's fine. Yeah, another complaint I have about this book, I don't know about your copy, but my copy at least, did not have a map in it, and I really would have enjoyed having a map. I am going to check my They describe copy. where things are a lot in this book, and I would have just rather have had a map than all these descriptions of, like, if yeah. you go around this side of the rock and then go straight, there's a house, but then to the side of the house, there's... Mine also does not have a map. Um, I get that, though. Like, but I mean, it is a pretty small property. And also, like, I guess the question is, when you consider that it's a book sort of from their perspective, like, to them, you do- they don't have an overhead view. I mean, she's really surprised the first time she gets one when she flies on Jeremy because right. she had no idea what these things look like. But she gets to fly on Jeremy and get one yeah. and have a little more of idea of where the rats are going and where they're from. and Yeah. Like, she's surprised when she has to explain to the owl what farm she's at, because she didn't occur to her that owls see tons of farms. So I can kind of get within the context of these are all little ground creatures. Like, they don't, a map, what a map to them would be would be very different. But I can definitely see, yeah, like, it making sense that having a map of the farmyard might be helpful. I don't know. I don't feel like, I don't feel like that interfered with me at all. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. I could still read the book and make sense of it, but it would have just been nicer. Like, there's just so much describing where things are, which is, like, also easier for them, even if they see it from a different perspective, of still knowing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like walking streets as opposed to looking on a map. At least you can describe it, but you still have a sense of the layout. Okay. That's that's fair. There's so much in this book that depends on them, like, going a certain route. Like, especially, like, avoiding the cat or, like, hiding from this. That it was just, like, I mean, I can read it without it, but it would have been really nice if there was a map. I mean, I just always assume in those cases, like, oh, they have a straight line through an open field or, like, skirting around the edge of the woods. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I just think especially because this book has illustrations in it. Yeah. So it would not have been hard to... I know you sometimes have a lot of feelings about illustrations. What were your feelings about the illustrations? Um, they were mostly okay. I thought a lot, some of them were kind of creepy, especially the ones with, like, rats and mice, because they're drawn fairly realistically. I mean, they're almost all with rats and mice. This is a book about rats and mice. I was gonna say, with rats and mice doing more human things. Ah. Like, the ones where they're just, like, among the leaves and stuff are kind of like, cute mouse among some leaves. Um, the ones where they're more, like, sitting in rocking chairs talking were a little freaky. (laughs) That's fair. 
that was one of the things I really loved so much when they were talking and found really interesting when they were talking about why they wanted to leave this manor they were living in was they wanted to live in a place designed for them. They wanted to live in a place where they weren't so apparently around human things all the time and could have their own beautiful rat space. And then you find out they built this beautiful rat space with like Christmas lights and like soldering equipment and all these cool rooms and a library. And it just sounds so nice and cozy. I want beautiful Christmas lighting as all my lighting. You know, you could, you could make that possible. I know, but I have a large room and that requires a lot more Christmas lights than a tiny little rat hovel. Well, the Christmas lights would be bigger if you were a rat, size-wise, so yeah. I think it's more just like having a lot of lamps. That's all I got. <laughs> See, for me, I had so many warm feelings reading this book. Like, this book totally brought me back to being a kid. It reminded me exactly of what I loved about it in a lot of ways, except as an adult, I can now pick up all, the, all these, like, intricate themes about society and, like, isolationist society and exclusion and like specious shunning and all sorts of really interesting factors so I just I was so happy reading this book it made me so happy that's lovely <laughs> I want to know all about like I just I, and I love like the you know the like eerie nature of just this like group of weird strange rats and I just I love it I wanted to know more about why there was a cinder block in the middle of their garden that's also a very good question because you think they'd move it at some point, given they always have to ride the tractor around it. How warm was it in that cinder block? I don't know. Because there's a lot of things about, like, Timothy can't go out and breathe even two breaths of the cold air. He must stay in this warm cinder block in the frozen ground. Like, it just doesn't I imagine it stays pretty insulated. Do you think? I think so. I don't know. Concrete isn't, like... I'm trying to remember what cinder block dorms were like in college. I'm not super remembering. I didn't live in one. I didn't either, but I had friends in a very concrete building that was just very... You also went to college in a fairly warm place. I mean, yes, but it got my interpretation of cold. Right, but there wasn't frozen ground. Frost existed. That's not frozen ground. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is they apparently it is warmer here than not there. I didn't really get too much into the depth of, like, the <laughs> why it's so much warmer in the garden and infinitely warmer in their cinder block than in the, the woods. Yeah. Ratings? Yeah. Um, oh, man. I haven't actually thought about this yet. Okay. I can go first. All right. I'm going to give this book a four. <gasps> I'm sorry. I would give it a straight five because I didn't really feel either way. But I think because of that is a little bit of a minus against it. Like, not having strong feelings... It's not something lower than that because it was well-written and, like, fine. And I wouldn't say I don't recommend it to people. Like, sure, give it to a kid. They might enjoy it. And it's not bad and it has interesting themes and good writing. I just didn't. I couldn't, I couldn't find myself really caring about it. So, four. Sorry. Next time we read a book about a plucky historical heroine, I'm gonna remember this. All right. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm gonna, I'm torn between a 6.5 and a 7. I think I'm gonna lean up to 7, just to, like, give it that warmth that apparently it just got torn from it. Um, <laughs> it did exactly what I wanted it to do. It was a book about mice. I didn't feel disappointed in how I felt as a kid loving this book. I felt like I loved it just as much as an adult, and I found new things to love in it. So for me, it did exactly what I wanted it to do. I think I'm just not as into talking animals. I love talking animals. When I was a kid, I hated all the Disney movies with people in them and only watched the ones with talking animals. I, this is still why I low-key hate Beauty and the Beast, because there's people in it. I liked Beauty and the Beast. Ugh. 
has a plucky heroine who reads books. <laughs> I was team 101 Dalmatians and Lion King. Oh, I didn't love those. Especially Lion King. Though. What? This will be the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> Goodbye forever. I have one last thing to say. It's Hamlet. Who doesn't love Hamlet with lions? Me. I don't love Hamlet. I don't. It's like we've never met. I guess you've never asked my feelings on Hamlet before. Oh, God. I thought that was in the We Met Each Other survey. I don't know. It wasn't. Ugh. Um, this is why when you friend someone on Facebook, it should be like when you join a closed Facebook group and you should be able to set up a series of questions they have to answer before they can send you a friend request. That does sound like something you would want to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was What fine. are your feelings on like... Hamlet? What are your feelings on Lions doing Hamlet? I mean, Lion King was okay. What's your favorite cocktail? Then you can send a friend request. I just, I wasn't, first off, it's just so sad. And also, like, I feel like Nala really gets, like, screwed over in that. Like, she was awesome. Yeah. And, like, we all had to wait for this whiny teenager who was, like, off in the jungle hiding. Ophelia was great, too. I know, right? It drives me crazy. Like, come on. Uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Anyway. My last point I wanted to make was that I just wanted to put out there that I owned a secretive Nim tank top that I bought at Hot Topic in freshman year of high school. Why aren't you wearing it, it right now? I obviously do not still have it. And because I bought it at Hot Topic, it was one of those with the weird iron-on that eventually fell off <sighs> because it was so poorly done. And I took it, it fell off in one piece and taped it or pinned it onto a bag I had. <laughs> and then just continued wearing the perfectly nice tank top without the thing on it anymore. That's amazing. I thought you would like that. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Thank you for telling me. I think that's all that we have. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us for another week. If you if you care about rats like I care about rats, please tweet at us at throwbackbspod. If you don't care about rats, well, Emily doesn't read the Twitter anyway, so she won't know. <laughs> I don't have Twitter. <laughs> um, also, if you want to email us, uh, my, our email address is throwbackbookstack at gmail.com. And if you liked our podcast and like listening to us chat, uh, maybe write a review on iTunes talking about that we are delightful and you like our podcast. If you don't like our podcast, I don't know why you just listen to this for 45 minutes. There is a world of podcasts out there. Like, I can give you recommendations. Don't hate listen to things. Don't get through an entire episode if you're not enjoying yourself. So I assume if you got this far, hey. That's a nice PSA. <laughs> Look, I don't want people to hate listen to that. There's a beautiful world of podcasts out there. Like, if you're not having fun, that's okay. Go chase your bliss. Go find some rats. Go find some rats. And if you do like us, write an iTunes review because it would give me so much joy and infinite, like, warmth in my heart. And I guess also help people find this podcast. Um, other than that, we will be back in two weeks, and we will be talking about Judy Blooms. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. We had to get to Judy Bloom sooner or later, and it's a good time. Now is the time. It's always the time for Judy Bloom. So thanks, everyone, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm ready to sing the intro music. All right, sing the intro music. Throwback book stack. I don't know the intro music. I've never listened to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs>